0: Well, we are continuing in our our series of I Love My Church, and I, I have been blessed with the opportunity by Pastor to come and preach today's message. It's been a while, hasn't it? You're probably okay with that. You, you heard me preach for about a year straight, and you're probably like, it's time to hear Pastor again. So it's been probably since January or so, maybe a little bit later than that, but it's been several months. And so I'm excited to be back in the saddle, and so I I just want to say thank you in advance for having grace on me as I bring this message to you. Now, before we get started, I want to talk about a couple things. One, my wedding vows. (laughs) You'll see. My wedding vows. When I married Sherry, we made vows to one another, didn't we? You weren't there, but you know we did. We made a declaration of loyalty and commitment to one another. We stood up there. My uncle was the pastor. And we said these different things. We said something to the effect of that in sickness and in health, for better or worse, till death do us part, that we would be committed to one another, right? I'm sure those of you who are married in this room probably said something similar to that effect. So you know what I'm talking about. We promised that our loyalty to one another would never waver in any situation that we would face, okay? We've now been married 12 years. Doesn't mean we haven't had our bumps, right? You can ask Sherry, she's probably experienced more frustration with me than me with her, because that's just me. I'm a very frustrating individual. Now, my children, let's talk about my children. That was my wife, let's talk about my children. I didn't make a public declaration to my children, did I? I didn't, when my children were born, I did not go, Brayden, in sickness and in health, for better or worse, till death do us part, I will commit to being a good father to you. No, I did not do that. I did that with my wife, but not with my children, because there was a, what, a natural, you know, there was a natural sense of loyalty to protect my child, and to be loyal to my child, right? It's just, it's part of us. When, you, when that kid comes out, as ugly as they look when they come out first, it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. I'm going to be straight up, I am a germaphobe. And our first child, Riley, I can remember, I did everything I could not to go that, on that end. I stayed with Sherry up here, and I just looked at her. And the doctor's like, you should really come down here. And I'm like, no, no, no. Uh uh. This is the safe end down here. And I just, I talked with her and I, you got this baby, you got this. And the doctor's like, look, the baby's head's coming out. You really should see. And I'm like, no. (laughs) Fine. And I did. And I came around and suddenly I went from germaphobe to, oh, that's my child's head. That wrinkly cone-shaped thing is my child's head. And immediately, that sense of fatherhood came over me, right? Parents in this room, you can relate, right? Look, I'm going to defend my child, I'm going to protect my child, and I'm going to love them no matter what choices they make. Now, I'm not going to be happy with some of the choices they make, but I'm going to love them despite those choices. I'm not going to defend their bad choices. (laughs) God knows what kind of kid I was, and I'm not going to defend that either. But I'm going to guide them as best as I can, and I will go to the grave for my children. That's loyalty, right? You see, there's a certain loyalty naturally built into us as families. It starts with marriage, and it moves to our children. God put it there. God put that there it's built into all of us and it's something that we cannot deny. And the reason that God placed it there's because the family is actually a picture of the kingdom of God. It's actually a picture of his bride, the church. The church is our spiritual family, if you want you want to give it some kind of label. And within the church we call each other what? Brother, sister. Right? We call mentors in the faith fathers and mothers in in the faith. Paul called Timothy a son in the faith, right? And there ought to be that same sense of loyalty that we have for our physical family that we do for our spiritual family. Now, we live in a culture where loyalty has now become a mystery, I posted something about loyalty last week, and a young girl posted it and said, literally, she said, this is a myth. Loyalty is a myth. I was like, really? You know, and I was just kind of taken back by that. But it's clear that Americans don't have a clue about what loyalty looks like. We don't. We used to, but we've lost it. Americans struggle to demonstrate loyalty, properly, even in our families now. And unfortunately, it has invaded the local church as well. But, in spite of having struggles to be loyal to our families and to our local churches, you know what people are really good at being loyal to, especially in the South? Chris, next screen. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about? Mayonnaise. People protect their mayonnaise. Holy cow. You want to start a fight on Facebook? A friend of mine recently posted a picture of him making a tomato sandwich. All right? He had all the elements there the knife and the plate, the white bread. It has to be white, can't be weak, got to be white. Little little smear of mayonnaise on there, and the tomatoes, and in the background there was a slightly faded picture, or or a slightly faded, you know, because it's blurry in the background, a jar of Hellman's mayonnaise. Oh, now keep in mind, this post was about what his tomato sandwich. <laughs> But what people took to was that jar of mayonnaise, folks. That jar of mayonnaise. And wouldn't you know it, he was from South Carolina and all his friends were South Carolina. And I'm just telling you, in South Carolina, you eat Dukes. Why? Because Dukes is a South Carolina mayonnaise. Anybody who's been here any period of time knows this. It's from Greenville, South Carolina. Come on, folks. Dukes. And if you're a Hellman's eater, which I know there's a couple watching us, I'm praying for your salvation. Now, the comments began to roll in on this dude's post. Things like, how could you call yourself a South Carolinian, the birthplace of Duke's mayonnaise, and use anything other than Duke's mayo? Another one, you got everything right until the mayonnaise. Another one said, I'm not sure if we can still be friends if you can't show good discernment with regards to proper mayonnaise on a sandwich. Oh. <laughs> and on and on the comments. It got ugly. It got, whew. Now look, most of those, most of those were made in jest, right? But you know what I'm talking about. Anybody here got a fierce loyalty to their mayonnaise? I don't know why, but people just, they they will die for that jar. Holy smokes. And I got to admit, I even poked at the guy too, just mostly because I'm just the kind that likes to poke, and I really don't, I do prefer Dukes, but I wasn't really that sold to, you know, I was just doing it because everybody else was doing it. Anyway, but later, as I was thinking about that particular moment that happened on Facebook about a jar of mayonnaise, the question or, or thought that came to my mind was this. If, if only Christians were as loyal to their spiritual family The local church and their pastor and their biological families as they are to their brand of mayonnaise. Let's face it, folks. It's just mayonnaise. Yet it gets more loyalty than our local church. Now, in our state, the great state of South Carolina, we also have another fierce loyalty. It's not just mayonnaise here. Right? (laughs) Clemson and Carolina. I'm talking I have seen families break apart. My brother is USC. My sister is Clemson. Now, my brother made the fatal mistake and married a Clemson girl. Don't you know that he gets some some serious ribbing during the fall? Right? I told him he was a glutton for punishment. He knew that before he got into that marriage. He should have just stayed away. But seriously, in South Carolina, man, fall comes around, actually before the fall comes around. I've actually started already seeing people doing stuff. It's spring training, folks. It's summer, whatever they do. You can tell I don't do football. Um, But people take into social media or the break rooms at work or family gatherings, and they just start to fluff up their support for their team, right? They make it very clear who they support. And they will dog anyone who dares to root for the enemy, Clemson. Nobody caught that. Whew. Oh, and Randy's gone. We—I just lost half the church with that statement. No, <laughs> I born—I was—I was married into the USC fan. I don't claim either one. I'm a West Virginia Mountaineer. Um, Clemson will appreciate that too anyway so you know you know that there there are loyalties to things that seem to take on I mean a fierce loyalty right fierce loyalty say something about Carolina say something about Clemson and I can promise you you will find out quickly and yet the American church struggles to express that level of loyalty the type that defends to the teeth their mayonnaise and football team when it comes to those in their local church. Now, I realize it's not a perfect one-to-one example, mayonnaise and people and football and people, but there is a certain level of loyalty that is expressed to these things that we struggle to muster up to the closest of us. Which brings me to the title of today's message, Church as a Family, a Culture of Loyalty. Now I just want to give a quick note here that a number of the points that I have brought out in the in the coming slides here um, were pulled from the old content of the old school of leaders that Pastor used to do here, and uh, and just as it was relevant then, it's relevant now because biblical precept is beautiful in that it is timeless. Okay, so. What points he made, however many years ago, that school of leadership took place, still applies today. So there were, and Pastor sent those to me as kind of a basis to work from. He's like, here, check this out. You might find some little gold nuggets that you could use in your in your sermon. It wasn't as good as the mayonnaise, but it was good. That said, no one would consider themselves disloyal, would they? If I was to walk up to you and say, are you a loyal person? You'd go, absolutely wouldn't you? Every person would. Every person would consider themselves loyal. But my question is, is can we come to any other conclusion that people really aren't when we don't understand loyalty as a people, when we observe a culture that it can't be loyal in their marriage? They can't be loyal to their work. They can't be loyal as parents. They can't be loyal in their friendships. And they certainly aren't being loyal to their local church. Yet everyone would say, I'm loyal, right? See, the church ought to be the best example of loyalty. We should be the best example of family, the best example of marriage and everything. Not because we're perfect, but because God has handed to us precepts to guide our lives around, that we can build our lives around. And when we follow those, that's the best example. Now, unfortunately, our lack of loyalty as, as a people, as a church people, and I'm not talking about you in this room, necessarily. I'm just talking about Church of America, right? Our lack of loyalty in the Church of America brings with it consequences. When we allow unimportant things to divide us, and loyalty is easily cast aside over silly disagreements, we become ineffective After all who wants to be a part of a group who can't even be loyal to one another Jesus put it this way in Matthew 12:25 Knowing their hearts he said to them every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste and no city or house divided its- against itself will stand the local church is not just part of the kingdom of God, it is part of the family of God. And too often the local church looks more like the dysfunctional families of this world rather than the supernatural family of God that comes from out of this world. We live in a culture that just really doesn't get loyalty at all. And the The truth is, this culture was never really taught loyalty either. Most have never even seen what it looks like in action at all. You know, in the political realm, there's a phrase that often gets tossed about frequently called loyal opposition. Have you ever heard of that? Loyal opposition. Now, basically, what that means is you can undermine, backbite, gossip, lie, criticize, slander, betray, and murmur and still consider yourself loyal and even feel good about it. I've actually seen that phrase used last week in an article. Loyal opposition. Now, my question to you is this. Would you use that to describe your family? Do I have loyal opposition to my wife? How does that look to my kids? Right? Do I have loyal opposition to my my children or my parents or my grandparents? Of course not. That's not something you would want to use to describe how you and your family function, is it? That sounds terrible. And yet, this is the mindset that has gotten applied in the local church and is why so many local church bodies struggle. And I think this is the case because we don't have a correct perspective about the local church. You see, too many see the local church as an institution rather than a family. A family, right? There's there's an innate desire to be loyal to your family, right? However, loyalty is up to the highest bidder when it comes to an institution, let's just be honest. The church was never intended to be an institution but as a body of people who work in unison with one another under the headship of christ living out our daily lives together as brothers and sisters right the church is a family it's a heavenly family a family that ought to have our highest allegiance because it was birthed out of the highest act of love the death and resurrection of jesus christ See, we're bound to one another, not only as joint heirs of Jesus to the kingdom of God, but also as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're bound to one another. And we need to be loyal to one another just as we would be to the members of our own household. Thankfully, those of you sitting here today, you exemplify the meaning of loyalty. So give yourself a pat on the back. I'll go around the room and and pat you on the back too because you have walked with legacy you have walked with pastor baird all these years we have been through the best of times and the worst of times and guess what we're still standing and i know that some may even look at us and say things about our loyalty to pastor baird or to legacy or to one another completely misrepresenting the idea of loyalty because as we've already discussed people don't even understand loyalty so when they see it they have a very misunderstood perspective of what it looks like in fact I think there's two common misconceptions about loyalty the first is this that being loyal means no disagreement no we would not agree with that right no loyalty doesn't mean you won't disagree it just defines how you're gonna respond in that disagreement. You see, my wife and I disagree often. I know it's hard to believe, but we disagree often. But, folks, I'm here to tell you I am fiercely loyal to her. And while she and I may disagree from time to time, I made a vow to love her. And I will be loyal to her. And my loyalty to her does not mean that they, those disagreements will never happen, it just means that when they come, how we respond to one another in those disagreements will be defined by our loyalty. To one another amen the same thing should happen here in the local church right do you think the pastor and I are 100% in agreement at all times (laughs) nope but how I respond to that and how he responds to me there's a sense of loyalty and love to one another right and we can take our disagreements to one another and work them out so that when we come out it's a unified front Right. So understand, it happens in the church. We're going to have disagreements. That doesn't mean we can't be loyal to one another. Now, the second misconception is this. Loyalty is blind. Is loyalty blind? No. Loyalty is not blind. It just knows how to discern what's worth fighting and what's worth fighting for. Now, hear me. My loyalty is not blind when it comes to something being asked of me that directly violates God's word. If Pastor Baird doesn't want me to play a certain song ever again for worship, which he has, okay, that's not something I'm going to fight against. Even if it's a song I like and he doesn't. Even if I'm convinced God's moving in that song. If Pastor doesn't want it to be played, it's not something I'm going to fight against. And that's okay, because I'm loyal to him, and that doesn't violate the word of God. So the song goes away, never to be seen again. Gone. Keeping that song, not worth fighting. It's just not. My loyalty and unity with pastor, however, that's worth fighting for. Right? A stupid song, not worth coming between that. However, if Pastor Baird asks me to violate clear command or precepts within the Scripture, which he would never do, let me just make that a note, he would never do that, but if he did, my loyalty to God will have to supersede that request. Because being loyal to God is worth fighting for. And a request to violate his word is worth fighting. You see the difference? Loyalty is not blind. Loyalty, indeed, is a verb. It's not a noun or an adjective. It's a verb. It's an action word. Loyalty is best understood through understanding what actions demonstrate loyalty. The person's loyalty to one another isn't truly revealed until there's a crisis or a moment where pressure is applied to that relationship. Because it's in that moment that one's loyalty becomes obvious to everyone it is at this moment where loyalty becomes a verb because we can say we are loyal all day long we can use that word I am a loyal person I am a loyal person but until crisis hits it's all that's ever gonna be just word right And again, I just want to say that to you in this room, you have passed the test. Pressure has been applied. If you've been with us for any period of time, you know that pressure has been applied. Pressure has been applied, and you who are with us today, you demonstrated fierce loyalty. And you ought to be commended for that. And I mean that sincerely. Because you don't know how that kind of loyalty can mean to a pastor to a pastor who's trying to lead a church. It's hard when you feel like you're standing alone, but then when you see people fiercely loyal to you and to your church and to your vision and your mission, man, it means the world. But pastor, he's not standing alone, is he? Legacy is not standing alone. We stand together. A loyal band of Jesus freaks. And that's okay. Because we've walked through the fire we 've been refined in that fire, and we 're about to see the payoff and I, I honestly believe that, and pastor honestly believes that so now the question becomes if we if we have misconceptions about loyalty, what exactly does it look like right? What do we look for in a person to know if they 're really loyal or let 's turn this into ourselves. What do we look for in ourselves to know if we are truly loyal? That's a fun question to ask ourselves, and I believe there are seven marks or characteristics of what loyalty looks like. And the first is this a loyal person will not be neutral when crisis hits. Pastors often stated there is no such thing as neutral, and he's right. When you are loyal to someone and crisis hits, whether you admit it or not, that Becomes a moment to choose your side. You cannot remain neutral. You just can't. Neutral is not an option. And if you are loyal, you can't just remain on the fence. You have to choose a side. In fact, by being neutral, you're choosing disloyalty to either side, honestly. You know, Jesus understood this when in Matthew 12, 30, he said, he who is not with me is what? Against me. And that is true because there are two relational outcomes that occur during a crisis. Unity or fragmentation. When people choose to remain neutral in a crisis, people are driven apart and they become fragmented. That's what happens when you choose neutrality. People become fragmented relationships become fragmented. But when crisis hits and people unify and choose loyalty to one another in the face of crisis, people are drawn even tighter together. Their bonds in that relationship are strengthened. And to be clear, this doesn't mean that you have to actually get involved in the argument, okay? but it should be obvious where your loyalty lies. Which leads me to Mark number two. A loyal person will fully trust the person that they are loyal to. This goes back to my earlier point about the misconception of being no disagreement and loyalty. Okay, When I am truly loyal to another person, I will trust that person fully. That doesn't mean we will always agree, but I should trust them 100% because I know their heart. Disagreement doesn't equal distrust, just as loyalty doesn't equal no disagreement. And disagreement doesn't necessarily mean the other person is wrong in their decision. Does it? And so we have to trust. And that's what loyalty looks like. They trust completely. Last week, Pastor talked about David, right? In uh, First Chronicles 12, uh, 16 through 18, he talked about Amasai pledging his allegiance to David. And one of the things pastor said about connecting to a church is that one must unite their heart with the heart of the leader. When you are united heart to heart with another person, you know their heart, right? And you trust them even when you may disagree. And don't you know, I guarantee you King David had people who disagreed with him, but those who were fiercely loyal to him trusted that the decision he was making was the right choice because they knew his heart and they knew that he wouldn't make a decision for selfish gain or for whatever purposes that may be anti-Christ in its nature, okay? That's why we can trust our pastor. If you've been here with him even two years, I know some of you have only been here maybe two years. If you've been here any length of time, we should be able to trust our pastor, even if we may not agree necessarily with 2 o'clock service time, right? We trust him because we know that he is following God. And what Paul would say to people would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And if we trust and believe that pastor is imitating Christ, then we should have no problem trusting him. Amen? Now, that leads me to the third one. A loyal person stands with you on your worst day. Everybody has a bad day. Me more than others. Maybe, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of bad days, and I'm working on that. But perhaps, you know, perhaps those bad days were of my own making or your own making. Perhaps not. Perhaps they just happened to be a bad day, and it just things just didn't cooperate. I've had my fair share, but a loyal person knows you. A loyal person knows your heart, and they trust you, and they will stand with you on your worst day, whether it was your own doing or not. That doesn't mean they're necessarily supporting if you make a bad decision. They're not necessarily supporting that, but they will stand with you, right? Jesus had a bad day in Gethsemane. Would you call that a bad day? Out there praying, got his disciples with him, a bunch of Roman soldiers show up, they arrest him, Peter cuts some dude's ear off, the other disciples split, and he was left to himself in the hands of the enemy. That was a bad day. And guess who said he would stand with him? Peter, I will stand with you, Jesus. Now, I think what he was trying to do was do that when he cut the dude's ear off. Right? Jesus corrected him, don't do that. And he put the ear back on. But where Peter, I think, got shook up about that Was when he watched the trial and people kept coming up and asking him, Aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Because suddenly fear took over. Right? Fear took over Peter. And suddenly he's like, I I don't know. I don't know. I'm just standing. I don't know who that man is. Three times. Three times. Now, fortunately, Jesus is a forgiving Lord. And Peter had a soft heart and he didn't allow that to harden him like it did for judas and he came back to jesus and jesus proved his loyalty to peter didn't he he said do you love me peter peter said yes lord feed my sheep three times and i think what what jesus was saying was i forgive you i forgive you i forgive you each time because jesus was fiercely loyal to peter he knew peter's heart He It hurt him, no doubt, to be betrayed. He knew it was coming. He told Peter it was coming. But he knew Peter's heart, didn't he? A loyal person will stand with you through thick and thin, good or bad, like my marriage vows to my wife, for better or for worse. Which leads me to Mark number four. A loyal person is unwilling to betray your trust or uncover clay feet. Now, this is a big one. People can be vulnerable. Pastors can be vulnerable. And a loyal person would never betray the trust placed in them when another person is being vulnerable with them. Even leaders have moments of doubt, instability, and slipping into the flesh. And when they trust another enough to be with them when they wrestle with these things, a loyal person would never violate that trust and expose them, right? Right? And use those moments for their own personal gain. Now, cue the story of Noah the drunk. Genesis 9, verses 20 through 27, we see a story of Noah who has now become actually a farmer, right? And he's apparently lapsed into a fleshly moment of drunkenness. And here's how it plays out Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and he told his other brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan! A servant, a servant shall he be to his brothers. He also said, "Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant, and may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tent of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Who? Look, did Noah mess up? Absolutely. He was drunk off his behind. He messed up. Let's not make light of that. He messed up. However, his son, someone who he had trust in, they, they literally sat through a 40-day flood together and watched the rest of the world drown. You want to talk about a trust-building moment? Right? He trusted his sons, and he violated that trust. because he exposed his father to his other brothers. Now, his brothers responded appropriately by covering their eyes and covering their father. Now, when Noah woke up from his drunken stupor, he found out what happened, didn't he? Yes, he did. And when you're loyal to someone, you do not take advantage of the failure of another person. This doesn't mean it shouldn't go addressed, or go unaddressed, rather. In fact... What Ham did was leave his father in his failure while Shem and Japheth addressed the failure in a respectful and honorable manner. Truth be told, we have no idea how it was addressed once Noah woke up for him to find out what happened. Like, we don't know how that went down, right? But we know it happened. It was not recorded. But it is obvious that Ham was seeking to make a mockery of his father. But his other brothers sought to address that failure. Now, a quick caveat needs to be made. There is a difference between love covering sin and one simply covering up sin, right? Covering sin doesn't mean ignoring or leaving it unaddressed. It also doesn't mean covering it up or hiding it away, okay? However, covering sin does take careful steps to address it in a way that is respectful and properly manages the issue with care right have you ever been in a moment like that I have which moves us to the next point which is a loyal person will refuse to entertain or extinguish any unfounded criticism when a person gets offended at another that is usually when accusations begin to fly Perhaps there may be some truth to those accusations. Perhaps. But even so, a loyal person isn't going to entertain those accusations and will do what they can to extinguish it altogether. A loyal person will not allow unfounded criticism to take momentum. They will not allow it to defile them. Right? That person comes to you and starts complaining about the pastor or starts complaining about the church. A loyal person's going to look at that and say, You need to stop. And if you really have a problem with that pastor or that church, I'm not the one you need to go to, am I? You need to take it to that pastor. That's what's biblical. You take it to the person. You don't allow that person's offense to come on you. That's what a loyal person does. You don't allow their offense to come upon you and defile you towards somebody you are loyal to, right? Man, somebody can come and make all kinds of accusations about my wife, but doggone it. I'm going to look at them and call them a liar and that they need to be quiet. Don't you dare talk about my wife that way again or you're going to find your front teeth missing. Right? Maybe that's just me. Maybe it's just me. But don't talk bad about my wife. And as hard as we may try, though, sometimes <laughs> small sparks of, of, of unrest still s- seem to seep out, don't they? And criticisms can still get out there, and a raging fire may even get started. But that is what makes that person a loyal person because they're going to do everything they can to put that fire out, to extinguish it, to, to just knock down any unfounded criticism and remain loyal, which moves us to the sixth point here. A loyal person does not waver when there is a season of challenge. <laughs> Legacy has been in a season <coughs> of challenge. It feels like 40 years in the desert, but it's only been four. It's only been four in the desert. We have seen our share of problems from Sam Rittenberg to the hotel, to international here, and now abundant life, which I think is a very interesting name, isn't it? Abundant life. I have come to give you abundant life, more abundant, Right? And that's what legacy has in store. Those of you who have been with us through all of that, you did not waver in these challenges. You stayed the course. You kept a good spirit about you, and you remained fiercely loyal. This is the third time I'm commending you. That should mean something. When Jesus said something three times, it meant something, right? I'm not exaggerating. I seriously am saying you have shown loyalty to pastor and to this church in seasons of challenge, in seasons of, of rest, in seasons of blessing. You have been there. You have stood there. Even those who are, are freshly with us, you've been there. You've stood there. You've been with us. And all of you have been un- unwavering during this time. And that is what a loyal person does. They do not waver. They stand with you in your seasons of challenge. Which moves me to the last point. A loyal person realizes that to be loyal to someone means redefining other relationships. Woo! This is hard. When I married Sherry, I had to redefine other relationships. Guess what? I could not have girl best friends anymore. Is that because girls are icky? No. It's because my wife is the only girl for me in my life, and the other girls had to take a back seat. Sorry, ladies. You're not going to be my best friend. She's my best friend. I had to redefine those relationships. Look, I had a lot of girl, girl friends. Not girlfriends, but girl friends. Sherry had a lot of dude friends, all right? Both of us had to make a conscious decision that those relationships were less important than this relationship if we were going to succeed in our marriage. We had to redefine relationships with our family. What does the Bible say? That a man and his wife shall leave their parents and what? Cleave to one another. That means I had to redefine my dependency on my parents and she had to redefine her dependency on her parents. And we had to become dependent on one another. All of these relationships had to undergo an updated relationship policy in light of our new covenant with one another. And the same will and should happen within the church. If someone constantly criticizes your spouse or your children, is that somebody you're going to just constantly go and hang out with? No. I wouldn't want to be around somebody that's constantly dogging my wife and my kids. Wouldn't you desire to do the same thing with someone who constantly criticizes your pastor or your church? I'm not here to tell you what to do with your relationships. I'm just saying there needs to be some consideration. If this is a family and somebody's dogging your family, perhaps there needs to be a redefinition of that relationship. Certainly between you and God alone. But something to think about and chew on. And I'm not going to lie, this is probably one of the harder marks of loyalty as it does require a serious consideration for those relationships you may have had for years. Look, when I came to Charleston, I was um, 19 years old. I had left the upstate on purpose and came here because my life back in the upstate was on a downward trajectory I was failing school I was drunk most weekends I was blowing all my money on whatever I I wanted and I had friends who were keeping in they were encouraging me on that road right And to make my commitment to God solidified, I had to look at them and say, I can't do this anymore. And I had to move hours apart to ensure that those relationships would be broken. It's not easy. I get that. I get that. But it is a question that asks, is this relationship more important than my relationship with my pastor or my church? Now, let me wrap up here. Legacy is moving into yet another season of life. I don't know precisely what the future may hold for us, but I challenge each and every person in this room to keep your fire of loyalty burning. I'm sure we are going to hit some more bumps as we continue down this road. Okay? Not sure of it. I am 1,000% sure we are going to hit some bumps. But if we remain fiercely loyal to our pastor, if we remain fiercely loyal to this church and to one another, I believe God will honor that and bless it. I believe that. Because I believe the challenges we have faced together and endured together have helped to stitch our hearts together in a way that cannot be broken. The Bible says a cord of three strands cannot be broken. So let us walk away today with a renewed sense of loyalty. Recommitting to God, to his kingdom, to legacy church, to pastor, to one another, that we are going to even do, uh, endure even more out of love and respect and honor and loyalty to one another. Can we do that? Let's leave this place and not declare that I'm a Dukes man or a Clemson woman Or whatever else our allegiance may be for. But let us walk out declaring that we are of the legacy tribe. And woe be unto anyone who would dare come up against her. For they do not realize the fierce loyalty that we have for one another. I've got your back. Pastor has your back. You've got our backs. And committed to one another we can stand. There is no hill that we cannot take for the kingdom if we remain loyal to one another. Amen. Amen. Stand with me.